I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to the Monsters of Talk. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, I am Jim Short. Jim, we're here with a comedy legend, a filmmaker, a um, I think a, a presence in comedy for uh, our generation. Um, somebody who I love watching, and uh, I mean, just an amazing guy, Rich Scheidner. Wow, thank you, Margaret. That's quite a that's quite an intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. We've been trying to make this happen, and it, it's been a little bit of a because we we also have other jobs, so it's hard to like of course do everything. But of I'm course. so glad that you actually like let let it, let let us do this because yeah. we really when I walk when I, you don't have an address number out front, right? So I'm it's walking hard. up and I go I go. <laughs> Oh, this is a comics house. There's all these fun things all over the place. I go, oh, this is the comics house. It must be giant right? rabbits and yeah. <laughs> right. And it's a, that's it's not even mine. It's all my husband's stuff. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well. He he's he's a sculptor, so he made all these things. So, ah. but it definitely yeah. Our neighbors don't like us very much. <laughs> like you know, nobody comes over for Halloween. No children come. No, nobody comes to this not house. Not a one. Not even one. Do you even have candy? On, no, on we Reddit? don't have candy. No. We don't have Maybe candy. it's the giant van that says the art of bleeding on it. Maybe, Wait. yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody has ever come over for Halloween ever. Nobody's ever trick or treated here ever, and it's the most trick or treaty kind of house. It's like seems like it would be a haunted house. But your house. neighborhood's not a really good trick or treat neighborhood. I think it's probably good. I've never done it. To hills, you know, to hills. So you have to walk up. Yeah, yeah. Got too much walk. To, I've know. never. I've the never parents done have to it. walk with the kids, so they're going. Let's take them down to the flatlands. <laughs> oh, that's better that way. So they can smoke a cigarette in a corner and watch them shoot from house to house. <laughs> That is better that way. That is better. So I uh, was, um, I remember reconnecting with you briefly at your film, I'm Comic. And in the film, it's so interesting to me because the part of, the film is great and it, it, part of the journey is um, you going to do stand-up again. Right. And I was wondering if, you know, you had let so much time pass in between sets nowadays. Do you still do stand-up Oh, no, still? no, I do it a lot now. You do a lot. I do That's a lot. Good. I don't let the time pass like that. It is... I mean, you know this, Margaret, it is so important to my mental health. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I was right. on, they had me diagnosed as everything. You know, mm. PTSD, bipolar, dissociative disorder, blah, blah. I had all sorts of medication. I take no medication now. Oh, good. I regularly do stand-up. It's part of a lot of stuff I do, but it, it's just really important for me to, do, to perform. Yes, it's really important. I, I'm not on medication either. I was taking Adderall, which really messed me up, I thought. <laughs> It messed me up really bad, and like I'm like, this is really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm walking around for years, like I'm not really coming up with a lot of funny ideas. Wonder why? Because I'm in a fog. <laughs> yeah, but it it does. It's like medication kind of puts you in another space. But stand up is so immediate and alive. But what it really struck me about the film was the way that um, you had stopped for. I guess it was five years in the film. And then you go and you do stand-up for the first time in five years. And it's just like the anxiety that I have for you. Because I think every comic knows that like if you don't do a set for like a week, it's oh. hard. Oh, it's a five whole other muscle. It was, it, you know what? It's not like riding a bike. It's not anything like It's a no. whole other muscle. No. And I was so creaky. I was beyond Tin Man. I was really... <laughs> I mean, I was. It, it took a while. It took a while to knock it off. But, but not I have, that long, because you got it even with. I, I got. I started yeah. getting bits of it. You know, I started getting bits of it. But you know, it's just I was intent on writing new material. I didn't want to go back up there and just do. You right. Know, you know, play play the 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 old hits. Mm. But then, like, how does that? It's like so because it, when I think about looking at stand up comedy, and you're such a major part of the history of stand up comedy, especially in the '80s and '90s, and like television when 
when it was such a big deal on TV. And so if you th think about like somebody is such a recognizable comedian to not have that skill so immediate, it must be really scary. It was, it was. And, you know, I'm, and I'm also a lot of times I was going on the Laugh Factory in amongst guys who were jamming, guys mm -hmm. who were in shape. I don't right. say guys, I say generically men and women, mm -hmm. but people who were rocking it. And, right. and I'm coming up there going, uh, with, and you know how when you're really performing, mm -hmm. you've got three, four bits ahead, and you go, I can go this way and go that way. You're like a chess in a way. I was right. like, what's the next thing I say? Oh, I hate that. I was like yeah, lurching from joke to joke and stopping and pausing and looking and going, what do I do? You know, and it was, it was, it was really, it was out of shape. I was just out of shape. And, pl yeah. and plus, too, you've got you've got a reputation to uphold too. Like you don't right. want to go up. Sometimes it's hard, even if you got a brand new bit. And you go up on a show, like at the Comedy Magic, you right. be 10 comics. And I'm like, i got a brand new bit I want to try, but everyone up there is killing it. And you go, I don't want to be the one that's like tried out a new bit. Oh. And the audience goes, yeah, the nine of them were good, but that one time. <laughs> <laughs> There's that thing, yeah, that yeah. pride of like, well, I want to rock the house yeah, too. But yeah. it's also like you want to go do a brand new piece sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it has to fail yeah. to, to end up working. But yeah. did you have that too? Like, my, like... I'm oh no! Shocked. There's a I lot of pride. There's a lot of pride. I'm sitting there watching one night, and and and, and Kevin Nealon is sitting next to Paul Rodriguez right up front in a little, a little, those little seats there at the Laugh mm -hmm. Factory, you know. And I look over, and uh, I hit a vein. You know, I hit one, man. I had a rush. You know, I mm -hmm. had this whole new thing. I hit. I don't know what you can talk about here. You can say uh, whatever you want. Like, but, but I just think of it. I just go. You know, I, I I just don't get this shave thing. I don't get this shave pussy thing. I don't. I, you know, <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm an old '70s porno bush oh, kind of guy. Yeah. And they started laughing. You're in the right place. And I went, ran into it. You know, and I go, I, go, I don't want to go down there and read crop circles. I don't want to get messages. I don't want to do any reading. I'm down there to kick off the ball and start the game. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I got into this whole thing, and they were gone for it. I said, you know, I grew up when it was like, you know, when, when the summer came and those pubic hairs were coming through the bikini bottoms, you went... That let you know you go. That's where it is. That's where I gotta get to. It was a, it was a sign. It was a billboard. Come this way, and oh, and I hit this whole God. thing, and they started laughing, and I went, okay, okay, I'm getting back to it. Yeah, I'm getting back to it. That's great. Yeah, that's great. But I mean, yeah, you do have such a reputation to uphold because you have these the years of mastery and years of probably most of the comedians there watching you, like as we grew up, you know. So it's like, like oh my God, it's like Rich Steiner. It's like oh, it's gonna be great. Mm -hmm. So it better be great, you know? So it's like yeah. you have a lot of legacy to uphold. Yeah. Yeah. A, 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 being a brilliant comic, somebody that people respected, and an amazing storyteller. You, it's, right. like, yeah. it's like you've got the oral history of a lot of comedy there, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's yeah. nothing better than sitting around with a bunch of comics, like we have recently oh, in July at the Comedy I, I, Magic Club. Everyone shows up because it's the birthday shows oh. there. And it's just, it's just we, sometimes you just sit in a room, and it's better than, it's like you don't even want to leave the room to go do your set. Because you're going to miss a great story. That's exactly it. And then when I first started, I mean, I, mean, I started in 77 in Washington, D.C. Louis wow. Black. There were no comedy clubs. Then this little place opened. But when I got to New York and there were guys like Rodney Dangerfield, you know, his place, mm -hmm. Dangerfield's, they would have the guys from his generation, the Jackie Vernon's, the Jackie Mason. They would play that club. And then we'd come afterwards. They weren't using the young comics like us. And maybe do the like late night show in front of you know what I mean, like mm -hmm. the dregs of it. Mm -hmm. And then you get a sit your reward was to sit around and listen to these guys tell stories, you know. Oh, wow. And listen to those guys kibitch. And you'd sit on the outside of the circle. I felt like a little kid in the bleachers, you mm -hmm. know, and just listen to them, you know, going mm -hmm. off about the cat skills and how they started. Oh. And you go, Oh man, that's and so now when we're like doing that, I sometimes I look over and I see some young guy at the Comedy Magic Club, like I go, Oh yeah, I remember that. He's like, yeah. was that what it like back in the 80s? Were they, <laughs> were they giving out TV deals like chiclets? Were they just 
<laughs> was the money flowing back then? Ooh. You know, Aww. yeah, that's were, great. Were there more? Were there more audience members than comedians? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> the, you know, one thing that we I, I think I missed out on cocaine. I always hear about people who were like. Paid and coke and like yeah. There's always legendary stories of like the club oh, was like we got no money for you, but oh, uh, here's that, some coke. There, there was that, but what I always found out. I mean, if I had to pay for all the coke I did, you'd come to town and it was so hot, it was so hip, comedy was so hip that all the hipsters would come out the first night, no matter where it was. The hipsters, Cleveland version of hipsters uh-huh. or whatever it was, yeah. And that meant all the drug dealers came out and oh. they would be vying for get your attention just hang with me yeah. so you'd walk by and they'd be slipping you a gram so then a guy'd slip you an eight ball and they'd just slipping you drugs you walk i go in the bathroom and i'd pull my hand out of my pocket and i'd have like four or five grams in my pocket oh my god you know they just hand it to you like come on hang out with me man come hang out with me that's incredible and that's that's what it was a lot of it was just that that's incredible yeah but there were guys who tried to pay you in coke you know there was john cochran famously in in the giggles comedy club you know and <laughs> And, and did a lot of peacemaking stuff, you know. It was like, I remember mm. one time he switched the order. You remember a guy named Michael Rapport? He was a, you probably don't remember. He was a comedy store guy, and mm-hmm. he, it was like one of my first times out. They had me middle for him in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Well, the first night, I stuck to my, it was a long story, but behind it, I wanted some payback on him. He'd been an asshole to me early in my career, which mm-hmm. is another lesson. You know what I mean? <laughs> another lesson. So I was like, I had him in my sights. So I said, oh, I'm going to do my 25, but it's going to be a hot 25. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't follow it. Okay. So the next day, the club owner calls us over to the club, and he says, hey, man, he says, he says uh, we got to switch to order. And Michael Porter's goes, oh, no, man, if it gets back to L.A., then I got switched. You know, I'm a middle now, not a headliner. I can't get back to L.A. And Cochran's calmly lining up a couple of big lines of coke. You know, he's chopping them up. And he goes, here, have a line. And Rapport goes, no, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'll make the switch. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was coke that's was used for a lot of lubrication. Yeah, there that's was the, a lot of lubrication with coke. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a lot of peacemaking. And yeah. That's interesting. Maybe diplomacy. Maybe maybe the Middle East could be sold with some blow. Some it was. A, I think it was a perfect showbiz drug. There's a lot of right. bullshit, a lot of talking, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of me, me, I, me, mine. Right. A lot of that when you mm-hmm. did coke, you know. Yeah. I never. I never really did it. I. Um, oh wow. Yeah, I have a, a deviated septum, which I got uh, surgery for, and um, so I've always had like nasal um, inadequacy. <laughs> So I never really got, and it's good because I, I, maybe I caught a little bit of this stuff. The, way, the only time I would get coke is when I would go to New York and I'd play Caroline's and then the models would come. And all the models, like uh-huh. very, very famous models would come and they, yeah. they all, I don't know why they decided they liked me. And then they would all come and they would bring tons of coke. But I, that was like, to me, it was just too hard and too painful to do it. So. I yeah. missed out. Yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't miss out. <laughs> you, you missed out on not missing out as well. I missed out on not missing out. That's yeah. why, I mean, I, 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 still, I don't know if you can tell this story. I'm sure you can. About I, I always ask you to tell this story because you told it down there once. but um, And it, it involves the character of Coke as well. Yeah. But you were cast in a, in a, in a movie that we all love, in the Woody Allen movie. Oh, my God. I, uh, they had an audition for, and I didn't know this. So it's a Woody Allen, whatever it was, Spring Project or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the call uh, goes out. Yeah, the call like goes big, out. Yeah. So it's in New York, and there was a line. All you did was audition line. And I was wearing old suits at the time, like old 40s and 50s stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I just got dressed up and go down the line. You stood in line, you go in front of a camera, and you give your name and walk away, you know. And Woody Allen was in another room watching a monitor. Mm hmm. And so they called me up. They go, "You're cast to to you're 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 going to be in a Woody Allen movie. You're cast wow. to be in a movie. So be at the the bus station, whatever. This time you're going to bus out to New Jersey, such the next Tuesday, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm drinking and doing blow Monday night, you know. And I don't I don't even think about. It. And then like, and and nine o'clock in the morning, somebody goes, 
hey, man, aren't you supposed to go on that bus to, to the Woody Allen thing? Oh, my God. I'm like, huh, huh. Yeah, I missed it. I missed the bus. Oh, shit. Stardust Memories. I didn't get any Stardust Memories because <laughs> one of my favorite Woody Allen movies because I was too coked up. So that's all the oh. benefits of cocaine. Mm. It's, it, you know, it's like it, it became a priority for me. And eventually, at the end of my coking and drinking, it became more important than the comedy. Yeah. And then that's when I knew I was dead. Then it take it taken away the one thing I love more than anything. The one thing that saved my life. Right. Was comedy and it had taken it away. Yeah, yeah. it takes away that, that one thing that yeah. you really love yeah. and everything. Yeah. And I've seen so many guys. I saw guys, you know, just you know, Holly Joe Prater. I saw guys collapse oh, on stage too. and stuff, you know. Yeah. I did I did on some a, a Pittsburgh gig and they, they the clubs were popping so fast they were doing satellite clubs in the same town like Pittsburgh Comedy Club was so hot so fast and packing them in they opened up in the suburbs so one right. weekend I'm working in the suburbs Monroeville or something and Ollie Joe Prater's working downtown yeah and Ollie Joe before he'd come into town they had to have like you know a couple of eight balls a bunch of quaaludes remember the name quaaludes yeah <laughs> yes, quaaludes <laughs> right? of course yes so. Saturday night, I only had two shows, but they had three shows downtown. So I go, I'm coming out to my second show down in the suburbs to go downtown and hang out, watch Ollie Joe. I'd never seen him work. I'd heard about him. And then go party with the guys afterwards. So I come in for the third show. It's packed Saturday night. Ollie Joe's on stage. I can see he's been he's been hitting hard. He's he's got a little sway sway up there, you know, a uh-huh. little bit of little bit of bopping in the wind going on. Yeah. And and he's drinking hard and and he, he was one of those guys who would sell a lot of drinks because he'd drink with a crowd. He'd get the crowd drinking. Oh, Everybody yeah. have a shot. I mean, club owners loved him because he sold more liquor than anybody. Yeah. And that's one of his charm for club owners. Yeah. And he goes, everybody drink. And at one point, he just starts wiping his nose, and there's blood coming <gasps> out of his nose. So his white sleeve is showing blood, and the audience starts to see it. And they're like kind of, you know I mean? <laughs> you kind of ripple back. They're like, ah, ah. And finally, he looks down and sees the blood on his arm. He goes, what? Don't you fuckers party? <laughs> Come on, let's drink some more. And he hits another shot, and it was that tipping point, you know, where the quaaludes and the booze overpowered the cocaine, and he just he, he swayed back, and he didn't come forward, and he just went back. Oh my just God. fell back on the stage, and all you see is the bottom of his cowboy boots, and he's still got the mic in his head, so he's still talking. Like, I just ran on some, some rich truck driver, you know, and he's still trying to do it. So the club owner runs and goes, we got to get him off, and you got to finish the show. So we run up there, and a bunch of guys pick him up and literally carry the guy off. I had to pry the mic out of his hand. It was like a, oh, like a movie scene, cold hands, gun, you know. Yeah. I had to pry it out, and he's, they take him off, and then I turn to the crowd as if nothing happened, going, hey, how you doing, Pittsburgh? <laughs> like... It's amazing. Tag team comedy. Bring the next one up. One down. Bring the next up. Was he? Was he the guy? If I, I'm trying to think if it's the story of him. Like, did he get so big at some point? That's right. That's right. Do you want? Do you? Do you he do got you know so big at the end. It would take him too long to get on stage and off. So they would set him on stage before the show oh and drape a sheet over top oh of him. God. And he would sit there behind oh the first God. two comics. Oh no! They'd introduce him, whip the sheet oh off like God. a magic act. And then I heard, oh, no. and I don't know if this is true or not, because it may be just a good addition to the story, uh-huh. that he would smoke sometimes under the sheet, right? Uh-huh. So the com- so the audience would be seeing like the comic work, and then smoke coming up from the sheet behind him, you know, this mass under the sheet. I don't know if that's true or not, but he did. I know he did because uh, I talked to club owners. He did that with. He did sit up on stage. And I wait. heard. It, well, he um he went on the road with Lincoln Earl. Who's our, you know, do you yeah, know Yeah, I know Jim Merle's great. He's oh, great. Friends. My friends, yeah, they, I love them. And they went on the road with him a lot. And one time they found him in the their condo 
and he is this I think it was really big then and he's naked and he was he, he was in bed and he had a whole bucket of chicken when Kentucky Fried Chicken came in the bucket and he was jerking off and watching a porn <laughs> and like had pillows propped up and then um, had the chicken here and like his cock in one hand and a chicken leg in the other hand and then Barry Lank walked in the room and was like what and then he's like come on Barry don't you know how to party <laughs> it's always that it's always that it's like, you, don't you party <laughs> don't you party with fried chicken and porn and the I'm sad thing sad is that that's the sheet that he, they would take to the club <laughs> <laughs> to cover him up with there's blood on it what did how did he die what that's happened exactly he, what you think he died he just, of just, couldn't get couldn't stop drinking and eating yeah. he was morbidly over, overweight obese he, he went into a some sort of rehab and he just like I can't do it he couldn't stop. My God. And right. his body just collapsed. Yeah, it's very hard on the body. I think these, all of these addictions are actually very, very connected. I mean, my story with like drugs and stuff is like very complicated in the same way, but it, you know, I think it's all like for me, it, it does kind of go into sort of an eating disorder. Like I would take drugs so that I wouldn't eat and I, I wanted to be thinner. So I would just take drugs to not eat. And then you, you know, it's like, why don't you just go on a diet? It's so much easier than doing all this crazy stuff. But yeah, it, it's it, all connected. It's all connected. To me, it's like a, that whack-a-mole game at the arcade. You knock right. it down one place, it pops up another. It's just, mm -hmm. it's it's insane like that, you know, to me. But you know what I think is even harder um, for my, I think, for my experience in drugs is painkillers. Prescription painkillers, I think, for me, is like, that's my, the worst thing for me. And um, it, it, because it really, I will get to a place with those where like, I just want like, I would give up comedy. I would give up everything. I'm like, I fuck, fuck everybody. I don't care. Like, I think, like, I had these weird fantasies about getting, like, some shitty apartment in, like, Echo Park or whatever and just taking all my money and, like, doing drugs and, like, everybody, I'm like, fuck them. <laughs> it's, like, the stupidest thing, though, if you think about how, like, dumb that is. Like, what do you mean, fuck them? Like, yeah. what you, like I have all this, like, great life and then I want to just, like, go to, like, some weird, like, skid row place and just say, fuck everybody, I'm going to do this. It's a weird. It is. It takes it is. over your mind. It is. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. None. When you None. get to a place where that makes sense, that's kind of fucked up. And then you're like, <laughs> "Fuck them! Like, who's them?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? Am and I they're not. It's <laughs> always them. Yeah. And who cares? Yeah. And they're not even aware that you're going fuck them. No. That's the hilarious part it's of it. The dumbest, yeah. weirdest revenge on nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that just hurts me. But I think those drugs are really bad because they are come from doctors, just like. Adderall or you know any kind of prescription like psych psych meds, and they're just um, kind of given out for me really willy willy nilly really irresponsibly. People don't treat them like they're what's just their heroin. No, it's heroin and it's morphine and it's like you know it's intense. So you don't think that that's gonna fuck you up like it does. Like cocaine, you can go oh well that is like a street drug. A street drug and there's something. You know the the culture around it, it it puts it in a place that's appropriate but with prescription drugs it's like this is not appropriate because this is like the, the doctor telling you to take this or you have to take this and it's really not good no i don't need a doctor's permission mm. to get high <laughs> <laughs> never did did you ever do that did you ever do you're like an upper mostly yeah 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 i what I, I was always angry that coke dealers never sold the downers when they sold you to coke because two days later, I'd be like, I need the downers. Why yeah. do they sell me? They're gonna, you know you're going to need the parachute. Give me the parachute. Mm -hmm. But I, then I'd be desperate for them. And yeah. uh, 
and I, I have sources, of course, like everybody else, but I, I never liked the pills so much. I had a hard time in this when I first started because I was a blackout drinker from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I found speed when I was around 18 or 19, that became important. They were just, back then it was black beauties and white crosses. Mm-hmm. I'm talking 70s drugs now, but then um, uh, cocaine was great because I could regulate because I always had a hard time regulating with the pills. Right. I was such an addict that I would take one. It's not working fast enough. Take two. That's not working fast enough. Take Now I got three jacking me up. Mm-hmm. And now I got a drink to try to bring that down. So it threw me off at the beginning. But with cocaine, I can regulate the... It sounds weird. I know it sounds bizarre. But I can moderate the intake better with the lines than I yeah. could with the pills. Yeah. And that was an advantage. They didn't sell... Back then, they didn't sell speed. Like powder speed was not... You didn't get it that way. Not right. the way you get it today. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you wouldn't be snorting speed. You'd be... You'd be I'm, I'm, I'm getting into a weird drug culture thing here. But that's... Well, I mean... That I, was it. That was yeah. it for me. That's, and, that's and good. I, and I wasn't a big fan of the downers because I it would get me too... I just wanted to be in everybody's face. But I did like a Quaalude. I had a Quaalude once. Quaaludes were great. I had one. I was a little young for it. I think I was like 14. I didn't really get it, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then they were all gone. Yeah. They were yeah. all gone. They were all gone. They, was a, as they, were, um, uh, they were good for getting um, a multiple people into the bed. Oh, okay. They were like a water slide into the bed. <laughs> You know, I remember when we quit drinking and doing drugs, a buddy of mine said, you know, it's tough to get two women in bed with Coca-Cola. It just doesn't work like Quaaludes. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. no, it doesn't. But, you know. Hey, everything changes. But, <laughs> well, that's it. Comedy was my, I mean, I know there's still some like road guys out there that still live it up, but you really can't exist like that anymore. Well, it was a, in stand-up because it, you just sort of don't get booked anymore you know, if you're yeah, like and, that. And, and, and it was a, a totally different era. Like, mm-hmm. Even the drinking and driving ethos was totally different. I mean, back then, yeah, you know, yeah. you get pulled over by a police officer. They go, you've been drinking? Yeah. All right. Go straight home. Can you drive? Can you drive? Can you make it home? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. No more bars. Go straight home. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally different. And even the, the whole beginning of all these clubs opening it really was sort of like a rock and roll whole new thing and nobody really you didn't look wow there were some guys obviously smart guys like Jerry Seinfeld who saw a career from the beginning but I didn't see it as a career when I got into it I just wanted to make people laugh yeah, yeah. The next thing I know I'm getting a lot of money I'm doing I don't even know at what point I went oh I'm in show business I don't know what point I thought that mm-hmm. I just was doing this and then they go okay now you can go here and, uh, and they'll pay you a couple of grand to make people laugh oh great you know, I'm doing it over here. I'm doing it over there. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that. And all these clubs were opening up and they were, you know, it was a, it was a different attitude about it. Right. Now it's more corporate. Guys, people know, I got a lot more comics to compete with. I got to be on the ball from the beginning. I got to I gotta be, you know, there's a lot more. Well, you can't be that guy that causes trouble at the club. Because you, you always hear about like, oh, someone's always here and he asked all the waitresses if they had any blow or this. Oh, you know. no. no. <laughs> you would always hear that story. Every club you go to, so-and-so did this and that and whatever. And, and eventually that guy does doesn't get I mean unless you're a big superstar no or no like no that, that you, guy doesn't get booked as you're much too replaceable yeah. now yeah when I first started if you could hold an audience see they didn't need draws they they had packed on audience yeah. they had packed houses every night mm-hmm. who can hold the audience who can keep them entertained for that hour yeah the headline then you were valuable so they yeah. put up with the John Foxes or the or the Ollie Joe Praters those guys mm-hmm. who were really bar comics because they could do that they yeah hold them they'd make them drink a lot that's what right. they wanted now it's like, we're not putting up with that because we don't need that. We right. need people who can put somebody in the seats. Right. Who's working that Twitter account? Who's got the 600,000 Twitter followers that can bring people into the seats? Right. That's mm-hmm. who's important. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. It's, not, it's, almost like, it's almost like the other end where it's not as good in some ways. No, the comedy's like, uh, not as it, good. It, it, but before but then the behavior. To me, right. comedy's like the perfect reflective art form mm-hmm. and it always reflects society perfectly and it does now. There's no middle class in society mm-hmm. and there's no middle class in comedy. You're either 
putting people in the seats and you're getting big five figures in the weekends even in the comedy clubs mm-hmm. or you can't put anybody in the seats you're just in a bucket of squirming worms man and they just throw one on the hook every weekend who baits the audience in for that weekend yeah and yeah. they lowball you so you're either making a ton of money or you're making no money you just get more right right, right. Yeah. So the, back when I was doing it, there were guys, like I said, like Ali Joe Prater of John Fox. They didn't do any TV. Yeah. And they were making good six figures a year on the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You course. can't do that now. Of course. And But you started you started working and you started, because it almost exploded at the It same exploded time. under me. When I there was the so wave. much TV right. going on, yeah. too. Totally. Right? And you were on, yeah. on everything. Yeah. And then the evening improv was sort of like the first show that mm-hmm. had that. But you, you know. were doing, like, I remember you did um, the Carson you you were like one of the last comics on Carson, weren't you? Like the last people that he picked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I yeah. got on the, the the DVD of his greatest thing mm-hmm. and all that. And I yeah. had I, but I did the first one eighty four, mm-hmm. and then I did it up till the end in, in ninety two, and then I did a few with Leno. Yeah, and it, so it was. I had that whole period. That's when yeah. back then you had to get on Carson. It was like that's what you need to do. You have to do that. That's, yeah, that, that's and everybody was aiming that. And Sam Kennison changed that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sam showed you, you become a star for cable. You didn't have to work totally clean. You didn't right. have to work. He, right. he he exploded a whole nother uh, way through the mountain, mm-hmm. you know, another path through the mountain. Mm-hmm. What was your first Carson like? Because it, I, I, it's you, we've almost lost that now. Because I don't know if any. It's still great to do a, a shot. Maybe doing Dave. Yeah, I mean that's still pretty good to walk on the on the. Ed it was so it. huge but, for us. But, but I've talked to all you guys that did Carson, and it it just held. I just watched that documentary again about him, the PBS one yeah. about Johnny, and and you forget just how what a master he was, and especially how much he loved comics too. But everybody's first casting is such a, an amazing story. I just I just wrote a um, a script for Bill Maher for HBO for about this era of, Ooh, of stand-up, oh, based on Bill's book, True Story, mm-hmm. and a scene that is in. The, the one, I mean, this is what used to happen at night at the comedy clubs, improv, comic strip, whatever. When Carson came on, everybody knew when a new comic was coming on because they'd read the paper that day, mm-hmm. and comics were. And the club would all gather around the TV to watch the new comic. Yeah. yeah. Watch them. So you knew when you were doing that that first Tonight Show shot, the comics all over the country were watching you. Right. All your peers were watching. Right. And you got a hundred phone calls. Yeah. Your message machine was packed with phone <laughs> yeah, calls. Yeah. You know, and you and so when I went out there the first time, I I I'd you just practiced it over and over and over. I'd probably done it a hundred times mm-hmm. in the clubs leading up to that. Because you know you'd set your five minutes or whatever. It's all yeah. set in concrete. It's not like you know that. You yeah, know, it's of not in, and so the first time I went out there was like and I when I and I did it, I got the circle forefinger. I didn't get caught over, but I got the you know the AOK sign. You know yeah, that he yeah. gave. I didn't get the drum pencil. That was the worst. If he was just tapping his pencil on the desk. Oh, oh no! Was, I didn't know no, about no, that. no, no, yeah. no. There was three. Things. He's either going to call you over to the couch. Right. right. Like I got like Stephen Wright got first time couch. Yeah. You know that's rare. Yeah. Or he's giving you the AOK sign, which means you'll come back another time. That's yeah. good. Good job. Or if he's not looking at you and he's just got his pencil tapping on the desk, oh, oh shit. that's so scary. That's the drum roll for the execution, man. <laughs> that's so scary. That's it. You don't have to say any names. Do you know anybody who got that? And did oh, they yeah. freak out about that? Oh yeah, yeah. There were guys who did. It. There were guys who did material that they weren't supposed to do. Oh, that's so no. You, you yeah. can't do that at all. And, yeah. and the guy did a material did material that that he shouldn't have done. And Johnny hated it. It was about suicide. Johnny hated oh suicide. Stuff. Even back then. Yeah. That would oh, be, yeah. I, mean, I, I did. My wow. second time, I was so jacked up on coke and drinking that I talked Macaulay backstage and changing my last two bits. <laughs> wow. So I was off for a year till I got straight. You know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I, w- I, did, I was like, I was hanging out with Sam a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was in my mind, I got to be edgy, man. I got to be edgy. Yeah. So I tried to talk him, let me do religious material. Ooh. I had a whole bit about Jesus talking to his agent, you know, uh-huh. uh, based upon us. Sam and I went, saw this group Striper, this. These Jesus freaks, yeah, heavy yeah, metal of course, of course, yeah. Of course, this was yeah. back in what eighty four, 
So uh, I had a whole bit about because you know, the guy came out and said Jesus was the first rock and roller. I said, well, if Jesus was the first rock and roller, he must have had an agent. So I didn't talk to his agent. You, know, uh-huh. you got to get me out of hills and valleys. I'm dying out there. Walking <laughs> in the temple, that's where the money is. You know, the whole thing, right? Yeah. He goes, no, no, you can't do any Jesus stuff on time. So I, oh. this is backstage before yeah. the show. So I go, oh, I got these two bits about uh, there was a guy Barney Clark who just had the first artificial yeah. heart. Mm-hmm. At the time, and I had bits about that, and a whole about a heart attack and the defibrillators and the whole bit, right? I said, "Let me do that one. It's all topical. It's now. It's edgy about heart attacks." And I badgered Jim so bad, he just went, "All right, do it. Just do that. Take those <laughs> last two jokes and put those two in." Wow. Well, Johnny smoking. Johnny Carson used to smoke a pack, two packs of Pall Mall mm-hmm. Nonfilter. He had a huge fear of heart attacks. Oh, oh shit! So he hated him. So I looked over and he's tapping the pencil. <gasps> You and got I, the tap. I oh, got the tap. Shit. No. So I walk back to the curtain. And my colleague grabs me. He goes, you got to get in the dressing room, man. Get in the dressing room quick and stay in there. And he puts me in the dressing room. He hands me a beer. He says, stay here. And he comes back like a half an hour later. He goes, oh, man, in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Johnny hated those heart attack drugs. Oh, hated them. Oh. Doesn't want to see you again. Oh. So it was like about a year later. And I was just, I said, okay, I'm done with the Tonight Show. I won't be doing that again. Yeah. And I, and I got stro- sober, you know, and I started doing some other stuff. And everything, my whole thing changed. My attitude, everything changed. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it one night. And Macaulay saw me at the improv. He said, man, I love this stuff you're doing, man. I love what you're doing now. Um, <clears throat> let me see. I'm going to try to get you back on the Tonight Show. And I went back mm-hmm. and killed and went, but did panel my third time. That's oh, great. And Johnny told me over. So it was, it cha- everything changed. But it took me like a year or so to get back. Yeah, and I thought I was done. I was like, okay, I'm done. I, and that was part of my wreckage, you know. I went, okay, I got to deal with that. Yeah, I screwed that up. Yeah, burn that bridge. Holy but, shit! But it yeah. wasn't, to, you know, uh, they put a pontoon bridge and let me cross over that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I burned a regular bridge, and they said, well, we'll let you cross over this one. I just That's remember, good. That's good. I remember really when they would come back from commercial. Sometimes Johnny would be having puffing a smoke. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember he'd be puffing a smoke oh, yeah. under the desk and then come yeah. up. But there is a different era of TV. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, when, he, when he, the guests were smoking. I mean, oh he, my he, god, yeah. yeah. All those guys and Johnny would do that when, when you'd be on panel. You know, Johnny would be saying something and they'd go to the red light going, and Johnny would immediately just pour it over to a smoke. Yeah, just like they're smoking, turn and you're just he's blowing smoke out there, and mm-hmm. he he's like a kid. Remember, like back in high school, you'd smoke in the bathroom, like try to get enough nicotine in you to last the class. Yeah, yeah. he'd be like he'd be puffing like chain smoking, puffing, and then come back from commercial break, like time it right. Yeah, yeah. and he, or sometimes you just catch him, just yeah. he, he <laughs> would that, nick yeah, under yeah. the desk, <laughs> and he would come up, and you knew he was like having a long yeah, puff before. Yeah. But that, it's a different era of TV back then. It was much yeah. more sort of. Um, there's so little real moments like they had those. reality yeah, you know? they I had forgot those. about that totally though that, that when people would actually like stop everything we could be at a comedy club and you would watch somebody on yeah. the Tonight Show like yeah. everything would stop and you would actually like oh you know somebody's on and it even happened later like on a smaller scale when we would be doing like the Dennis Miller shows and like all those like later talk shows mm-hmm. we would do the same thing we would all like stop everything and we would like watch on the comedy club yeah and it was cool and, and comics would know memorize remember you had that standard intro for I'm glad you're in a good mood tonight <laughs> it's always good when we have a new comic here for the tonight I mean you had yeah. the standard verbatim intro and the comics were like mouth it you yeah. know, just start mouth along with yeah. Johnny because I knew it. It's so cool. It's yeah. really cool. Well, I'm glad that you're doing sets and like, is there, I think there is sort of a bit of a comedy boom happening. I think it's starting to ramp up like another boom. It feels like it, especially with all these different social media platforms that oh people do comedy on. And well, it's just in so many areas too. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's bigger than ever. I mm-hmm. think there are more comics. I mean, you, there's, there, look how many people do theaters and big rooms now. Right. Other, compared to like years ago when I first started, nobody was doing that. Mm-hmm. There was like 
Robin Williams and Steve Martin and there's no you know Carlin or a couple of guys. Right. Now there are tons of people who can draw in theaters and draw. Look at these improv. They're improv theaters now. They're not even I know, comedy they're clubs. Huge. Yeah, they're, they're huge, huge, right? Yeah, they're really like really five six hundred seat mm-hmm. theaters. Really, that's mm-hmm. what they call them now. Mm-hmm. It's it's bigger than ever. Yeah. I'm just saying it's also. The audience is more, you know, you, you're right. You have to reach them with different social media out, yeah. out, uh, and you ha- and and they're they're more selective. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're not going to just go. You know, mm-hmm. the open mics are hilarious. The open mics, only people in open mics are the comics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine? I mean, and and you did sort of restart, but I look at people now and I think I couldn't imagine starting now. I've done it twenty five oh years. You've done it way much longer yeah. than you as well. But I mean, I don't know when I started, which was the end of the kind of what people call the boom, although that late 80s into the 90s was still a good period. I think now, like, there's, there was so much opportunity back then, and there seems to be none now, although now it's a different game as well. But, you know, I thought that, and then I realized I went, I did the same thing. When I started in 77 in Washington, D.C., there were no comedy clubs. Right. Well, and I that was, was going yeah. around everywhere. I'd go, my friends had a band, I'd go on a band break, I'd go into a bar in a band break. I'd go anywhere. I remember one, one time, my buddy, my, he was sort of like my pseudo agent. I was in law school at the time, and he goes, I got a, a place, there's a place that does a talent show at, called the Gay Cabaret. And we were so clueless. We just thought Gay Cabaret, like the Flintstones, gay old time. Yeah. We didn't get it. You know, this 90s, is, again, yeah. 77, the closet was packed. You know, nobody yeah. was out. Nobody, you know. So we didn't get it, you know, what it was. And we got over there, and it's, of course, a gay nightclub in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And we go, okay, cool. And the, guy, and the guy who greeted us, he was a nice guy, and he goes, listen, fellas, yeah, you, you could do it normally, but tonight's ladies' night, you know? And again, we're clueless. We just Ooh. go, ladies' night? We love ladies. <laughs> we'll, we'll be the only guys there. This will be perfect. Yeah, I'll do it anyway. He goes, well, I'll get you up there, but I'm not sure. And of course, it was lesbian night. Yeah. And they hated me. And I'd go up there anyway. I'd go up there anyway. And you know, the, you know what I mean? It's just like there's like... It's stage there's time. A, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm do, I'll do it anyway. And I go up there, and I remember being up there, and I, I'm bombing, of course, miserably bombing. And... At one point, I said so. I blurted something out that got a laugh. I said something like, "I guess I'm your worst nightmare for entertainment, or something." And they laughed, kind of. And mm-hmm. I was so clueless and raw that I didn't know that was the best I was going to get. You know, what I mean? yeah. take that as your exit laugh. Right. Yeah. Good night. Leave like a victor. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Good night. Good night. You know. No, I go on to the next thing. Like, oh, they want me to do more. And this woman gets up. It was. It was. My friend reminded me of this. I forgot. She just gets up from the audience, walks up onto the stage, doesn't say a word, just takes me by the arm and gently leads me <gasps> off the stage. Oh my God. <laughs> that's great it's like euthanasia like a like a comedy mercy killing oh, wow that's it was, really it was nice. great it that's was very really, nice, really you, nice. You, you don't know man we couldn't stop him <laughs> that's the only way to do it just take this him off best, he's, he's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna escort you back over. yeah yeah just 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 come off son yeah Aww. but then you, but you, you you did some uh you did get into uh some movies and i talked to you about this uh, a few times but um because i didn't know where you'd filmed it but roxanne yeah, but was that, in, that, um, was, that was Nelson. That Nelson, British BC, Columbia. Which is an, an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful, we, small little place. And Kevin, it's just idyllic up there. It was, it was they're supposed to be, uh, they found a place that, of course, doing ca- Canadian production mm-hmm. that would be, that was sub as Aspen, Colorado. Oh, okay. Doing, that's what it was supposed to be. So they found this little, and that was back when, again, it's the late 80s when they were putting comedy in everything. So we didn't even audition for that movie. Kevin Neal and I just, you know, they just went in and met us. I met with Fred Skepsi and, and Steve Martin, who who had seen me, I guess, on some sort of show or something, whatever. And he, he was like, yeah, you're going to do this thing where you're going to be in the beginning of movie. Can you do, like, physical acting? Can you? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, I can do whatever. You know, I can ride a horse. I couldn't ride a horse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever you want. <laughs> you know, I can ski. I can't ski. You know, whatever you uh-huh. want. 
and they just cast us all. And there was there was Max Alexander and Steve Middleman and, and Damon Wayans, and they just cast a bunch of stand-ups because they go, stand-ups are hot. Put them mm-hmm. in movies, and and so it was, that was that was it. And every day we um, we we were up there for like a month just rehearsing for the scene in the beginning of the movie. Kevin Nealon and I. That's the one with the the tennis rackets. Right? There's a tennis rackets, right? Yeah. Like right. you guys are, it's like a duel almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The beginning of the movie, they, they we have we have ski poles. He has a tennis racket. They never explain why in the summertime we're walking up the street with ski poles. <laughs> so, and, and they're like trying to figure out different things to say. And finally, the, I think Steve Martin just said, "Forget it. Let's just have the fight. <laughs> Don't even explain it." <laughs> why do they have ski poles in the middle of the summer? That was it. But that was that was like that. I mean, they were putting comics in the. It was like comics were the spice. You know, they put mm-hmm. us in every dish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually did American Bandstand, which is insane. Did you do a set? Really? I did a set. Wow. Dick Clark had in his mind, again, this is the late 80s, he said, I'm going to put stand-ups on my show. That's great. Stand-ups are everywhere. Oh, no, it's not. Is it, was it oh, not good? Oh, oh, my I would have loved to do a set on American Bandstand. Well, you might have done well. I don't know. I don't know. know. He, it, the, the, the situation was, you know, I, I go up on the, they said, just come up on, and Dick's up on this platform, right? And he's got this sort of like a little acrylic kind of, um, podium he stands behind, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of thing. So he does the intro there, and he brings me up, and I come up onto the thing like I'm a like any other singer, or whatever. Yeah. But I'm standing up there near him. I'm like you know ten feet away from Dick, and I'm starting to do my stand up. Now they just stopped the song, mm-hmm. and Dick Clark goes, "Okay, we're going to bring up a comedian." So everybody gather around. So they're all you know seventeen, eighteen year old kids yeah. out of breath. They're like they're all yeah. in eyes, you know. They're like looking at me, they're panting. And I start to do my bit and I do two, two jokes and they're kind of like looking at me, they're confused. What am I, I don't think I even know, registered I'm a comedian. <laughs> yeah. And Dick stops it. He goes, oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. Rich, stop, stop. Really nice guy, just stop, stop. So I just stop. He goes, he goes, you kids don't understand. He's a comedian. Uh-huh. He's a very funny man. When he talks, you laugh. Uh-huh. So that's what they did. Oh, I start talking. They start laughing. Okay. Oh, they don't wait for the joke. <laughs> they don't wait for laughing. you to finish the setup. They just start laughing. They're like laughing. They don't know. They're not working as a group. They're laughing. The other guy's not laughing. Then somebody yeah. else laughing. It was. It was, it was like I had a reggae rhythm to my set. It was. That's so wild. Yeah, and I, I think know. I did it. Maybe two other comics, and they abandoned the experiment. Who wow. else? Who else did it? I think was Blake it like Clark. You're... I think Blake Clark did it. I think. Oh, good old Blake. <laughs> I'm not sure. I Lovely can't remember. But I remember That's it was like a, just a couple of comics, and then my agent said, "Nah, they're done with that." Maybe Rick Dees. Maybe he wasn't really a comedian, though. <laughs> no. I know Rick Dees was on there. He did Disco Doc. The, oh, Disco Doc. No, this was just yeah. yeah. This, this is just pure stand-up. stand-up. Yeah. This is just pure stand-up. There's a couple of comics that did it because there was, was some shows where like like Midnight Special. Yeah, but that was natural. That was that back was, in the seventies. Yeah. Did yeah, you yeah, do Solid Gold? I did Solid Gold. I remember Solid Gold. Now wait, tell me what happened when you did Solid Gold. There were there were dancers back. Yeah. So it was like a variety show kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there's yeah. dancers and this. I forget who the host was. This was back again in the eighties. Marilyn Nakou and Andy Gibb and sometimes Marty Cohen, <laughs> but sometimes um, they would switch. And I remember you doing a set yeah. on the show. And I was being yeah. really surprised. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. You remember that? I did yeah. do that. I forgot all about that myself till you just mentioned. Totally. I don't remember. I remember uh, the uh, a country comedian Randy Travis was on with me. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember because he came up to me afterwards and he said we should work together sometime or whatever and oh, and, and never saw him again. But he, um, but yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. That's, that's all I remember great. about that. It was that's just a another, weird thing because they would like you know yeah it was like there was comedy was really hot but they were trying to figure out where else you fit and this was a little bit before they did oh. the stand up comedy TV shows. I'm not sure if they had an audience with that one. 
for solid really? gold. Yeah, did it they might have not have. No, I, I, I think it it would varied. I think it, it might. Yeah, it might have been one where you just kind of like you did your thing and you'd have to pause and think they're going to put yeah. laughter in later. And I think so because a lot so. of it was like also like all the acts lip lip synced and you know they had the dancers right, and everything. Right. But they mm-hmm. didn't have an audience. They mm-hmm. didn't have a studio audience. Mm-hmm. That's wild. I don't think they could have had a studio audience because it was just a different time. They don't think I don't remember seeing them. So. Yeah, yeah. Stand up just got so hot, and they were just let's put it on everywhere. But that, that's a natural show for it. But some places were you, <laughs> you didn't know. do American Soul Train. Right? So weird. You didn't do Soul Train. Huh? No, I didn't do Soul Train. I don't know if anybody else did. But they were, they were putting stand. Do you you don't remember this? But they actually put stand up on airplanes. They had they hired some stand ups. Remember that to, to be up in the front of the plane with that little mic. Yeah. and do try to do stand up, and I heard it was just it's terrible, the worst. But they were putting them everywhere, and everybody was thinking, I'll hire a stand up. I'll put a stand up in front of my business to do. You you know, stand up comedy and draw a crowd. But on the plane, it was really weird. I think it was like on the People's Airline. Was it was like People's Express? Yeah, oh! it was like one of those weird airlines where you brought your own food and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was like a really really cheap airline. Yeah, like a precursor to Southwest. No, I remember People's Express. They used yeah. to they wouldn't charge you until you got in the air. I used to do a joke. <laughs> I said they're so insecure about whether you can get off the ground or not. Look, if we crash, we're not charging anybody. <laughs> but they get in the air and they come down us. the aisle with that little cart and they'd have that little old credit card thing that, you know, they'd have a credit card or cash. So oh, weird. yeah, the one that just that made it imprint. Yeah, yeah. And it was like their whole thing was thirty nine ninety five. Like It's like Earl Shives of the air, you know? thirty nine ninety five <laughs> to anywhere. Yeah. You know, so you'd be in New York, they go, Cleveland, Minnesota, wherever, thirty nine ninety five. Wow. Incredible. Well, they're like sort of like the all-you-can-eat pricing, you know? And then you would see comedy, stand-up comedy on the plane. On the plane, yeah. They tried that for a while. It's like some, that's, you know what? That's a perfect job for Peter Fogel. <laughs> Peter Fogel. Peter Fogel was a comedian um, around 80s, 90s. He was, he is the guy that did so poorly on a cruise ship, did, he was airlifted off. Not just so poorly. You know what he did? No. No, what happened? He did oh, a he Leon did? Klinghoffer uh, joke. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh. remember the guy who, who the terrorist, uh, the uh, uh, Palestinian terrorist, uh, took over a cruise ship. Uh huh. Uh huh. And he was a Jewish man in a wheelchair. Uh huh. And they tossed him off the front of the <gasps> boat. Uh. And then Peter thought it. He, I guess he'd heard some street joke. He, you know, whatever. He thought it'd be funny to do that joke on a cruise ship. Oh. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, this is what I heard. In the middle of the night, they come to Peter's after the show. They come to his room. Say, Peter. Yeah, we're having a problem with some rooms. That there's some, some problems here. We got to clear these rooms out on this side of the ship. So just gather your things. We're gonna move you to a new room. So he takes a move to a new room. So he packs all his stuff up. They take him up on the top of the ship. There's a helicopter. Get on the helicopter, Peter. No, they, way. they wouldn't. I've him, heard that no, story. Yeah. Not even stay on there. They don't want anybody to see you at all. I mean, they took him off the ship that night. Isn't amazing. Not waiting for the next port. No, no. Hel- we don't want airlifted. anybody to see you. Man. Airlifted. <laughs> Airlifted off. But why do comics always You're make, next to the uh, corpse, that, the guy who died at the buffet. <laughs> Jesus. What? Like, why, why do comics always make that stupid fatal mistake of like, oh, I'm, I can pull this off. You know, we always have yeah. that thing like, I can make fun of that tragedy because I can do it. Yeah. Like any, yeah. You, any rational person would go, do not make a joke about that guy on a cruise ship. But uh, some idiot comic was always going to do that. Why do? Why are there those comics that make that mistake? Because they're idiot comics. You said they're it right idiot. off the yeah. bat. <laughs> Margaret's not doing it. You're not doing it. Right. I'm not doing it. The idiot comics. Yeah. But we're, yeah. it's because we always laugh. It's because comics always laugh. If it's funny, we always laugh no matter how right. terrible it is. And That's then right. you just you just think that everybody else is going to react the same way. Right. 
because we are we laugh. That's right. why we have we have we don't have the empathy factor that regular human beings have. Right. There's no, there's no. comics don't need, you know, you need some time for it to, to get, you know, comics don't need the time. We're like the darker, the better, the faster, get it to me. You know? Well, it is, a, it's cathartic in yeah, a way. Yeah, to, yeah. And we can deal with that. Yeah, but most but we people, also know not to say it out yeah, loud. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of us do. Most of us. But, but some the, people, few people. And, it's, and you know, again, other factors, but I think that, that, that people are like, I, I got to, Get this joke out fast! I'm, I want to be the first one to tell it on the stage, you know, or whatever kind of idiotic thought there is, you know. That I, especially because it's not even your thought, and you, you're probably like me. I, I'm not gonna tell a street joke on the stage. I know I, I didn't get up there to like just parrot other people's jokes. No, right? this is not carrot jokey to me. No, no, I gotta not be up there, You know, it's like you're up there to have your mindset validated. Yeah. You know, that's that's you know it, that's the whole thrill for us yeah but so for some people it's just performing in the attention so right. what what do i have to say to keep the attention mm-hmm. what do i i'll do i'll say anything so if this one will get me more attention i'll say it mm-hmm. and they mistake it you know mm-hmm. oh that one's going to get you attention <laughs> it, <laughs> attention, attention but not the best kind <laughs> how did you um how did you uh get hooked up with sam was he were you at the comedy where he used to round yeah you know i you know it's so funny um yeah um I met him very briefly down at the uh, um, uh, comedy workshop uh, uh, on Houston in in in, in uh, Houston, I think. I'm not sure. I came through there uh, early on, but I'm not sure. I think it was just the the, the comedy store. We just sort of hooked up as kindred spirits. Uh-huh. I, I remember one time I I had, I had anger issues, you know, and I came into the, the there was still that kind of lingering thing between a comedy store and the improv over the strike. I got there yeah. in '82, and there was still a little bit of that anger. People had resentments and anger for each other. I remember one night I came, I was coming in the, I was, I was working both the store and the improv, and I was rushing into the, the comedy store to do a set. You know, I'd been to the improv, and I was rushing over, and I was coming in the back door, and there were a couple of comedy store comics standing there, and one of them like stands, like moves over to block my way in the door, and he goes, "What are you doing here?" You're a, you're an improv act, and I said I'm gonna get anywhere on stage I can act, and if you don't yeah. move out of the way, I'm gonna be fucking knocking you down, <laughs> like that. I was like, you know, that way, you know, sort yeah. of thing, you know. And and he just backed off a little bit, and then I heard this laughing, and I looked over and it was Sam laughing, <laughs> and Sam was laughing. He's like, he's like, you give me like, yeah, I like that, yeah. I like that. So we we kind of hooked up kindred, you know, a little bit of anger, whatever it was uh, that we just, you know, we partied a lot together. Yeah, I remember one time we did it. You know, you you saw him blow up, but we were doing um UCLA, and it was like a middle of the week, you know, a couple hundred dollar drug mm-hmm. money deal, you know, just a local thing. Some young kid was taking us over from the comedy store to Westwood, mm-hmm. and we're in the car, and Sam's like, uh, you got to close the show. I said, oh, no, Sam, I'm not following you. <laughs> uh-huh. And he was starting to get hot, you know. Yeah. It's like 84. I said, no, nah, I'm not following you, Sam. I'm not, I'm not falling for it. He goes, no, no, they're not going to like me. I'm going to bomb here. Kids don't like me. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, Sam, I'm not falling for that. He said, no, I'll tell you what. If you can't follow me, I'll give you my money, and I'll buy the drugs tonight. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to follow me. Trust me. And he went up, and he did. He bombed. He just, you know, he went up and, and, and he, he didn't, you know, he didn't piss you off. You know, he didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. He did a great job as, as a guy bombing in front of me, you know? Yeah. And then he introduced, and then instead of having the other kid come up, he introduced, you're going to love this next guy. He's great. You know, you're going to yeah. like him. And I had a great, and then afterwards, you know, it was like, he goes, yeah, they just, they don't, they don't, kids don't like me. And mm. then like not even a year later after he blew up big with the Rodney thing, yeah. Sam comes up to me one night at the comedy store. He goes, hey, Rich, I'm going back to UCLA for 15000 Wow. And he went back there and, you know, he walks out to a standing ovation. Yeah. Right. And I'll bet money there were kids in that audience who sat and stared at him, you know, the year before. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it was just timing was everything. Mm-hmm. Career timing as much as he joke got timing. so huge. You remember when he made the uh, they did a wild thing. Him and Jessica Hahn. Oh, oh Jesus! <laughs> he was he that that you it's know incredible. he was he he had a rock star swagger before he was a rock star. He was there great. was there's no doubt about it. He was so special you know? like that with because it was like also giving audiences like really quality comedy like really good different kinds of stuff that is a very very exciting time you know yeah yeah i mean i remember going i'd run i'd finish my set the improv and i'd run over because sam had the last spot at the comedy store so Mm -hmm. you'd run over and there'd just be a bunch of comics in the back of the room and like four or five drunken tourists who didn't get the hint yet the show was over you know just Mm -hmm. sitting there and sam do his opening you know Look at this face. This is the face. Ah, ah, the face of marriage. He'd open up and <laughs> you're going to wish the hell you'd never seen this face. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. And, and we'd be in the back of the room laughing our ass off. Mm-hmm. And then I just remember going out in the road one time and I came back and all of a sudden there was like a lot of people in between us and the Sam. You know, there was yeah. no longer an empty space. Oh, the yeah, hipster yeah. started to find him. Right. You know, the, 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 the Sunset Boulevard gang, the the porn yeah. actresses, the rock Oh, yeah, yeah, all those people, stars, yeah. They started to fill that right. room. And exactly. then, then I came back, and all of a sudden, it was packed. It'd be yeah. like, say Sam was on like 1 in the morning. Well, 12.30, you couldn't get a seat in there. Right. And right. you didn't want to be the comic on at 12.30. Right. Because they're not listening no. to you. They're just waiting for Sam. Right. And it was like he turned it into his room at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. That's what ha- Well, that would be like the comedy club that, uh, across the street from where I lived in San Francisco, the Holy City Zoo, where yeah. I go at, everybody would finish their shows and we would all go because um, Robin Williams would come at, like around midnight or one, like uh, really often. And then everybody would be in the room and like it was all comics. Like, people never really, audience members never really got, got the like, a hang of it or whatever because it was sort of weird. And also Clement Street then it was not like the na- like night night place that Sunset mm-hmm. Boulevard is. Did you right. ever do the col- you did the Holy Cities? You did. No, I, I I went in there and performed it just so I could say I performed it. I think you did. But get, yeah, I I'm came sure in. I, I, saw I, I know you I did. There. I did. I came in there and performed there. I did. I but like it wasn't. But it there. wasn't the the paying gig. It wasn't a paying. I came over there from during the week. Yeah, I came over like say I was there for the punchline or whatever. Yeah. And I came over and performed, but I wasn't there. It wasn't booked there. Yeah. When I when there was a place called El Brookman's that opened in 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 the summer of like '77 in Washington D.C. That's where Louis Black and I, a bunch mm-hmm. Kevin Rooney, a bunch of guys went there. And um, the guy came, uh, Tony. I can't remember his name. Tony something. He managed the Holy City Zoo, mm-hmm. and he came here and told us Tony about DePaul. it. Tony DePaul. Tony mm-hmm. DePaul. That's right. That's right. And he came there, and he he came to our club mm-hmm. like in '78 or whatever, and said, you know, we got a club like this out in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. I was like, really? I mean, are other people doing this? We yeah, had no idea. It wasn't like cool. you know, there were internet, and you go, oh, everybody's yeah, doing. You yeah, would you know. didn't know. You didn't know. Yeah. And I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, we got a club like this. And but I didn't get there until I moved to LA like '82 or '83. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I did the Holy Zitty. Because I remember, I remember yeah. seeing you had a black vest. <laughs> I remember I had a lot of buttons. A lot of buttons. It was like a black vest. A lot of buttons. Looked a bit like uh, you looked a bit like a uh, one of the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. <laughs> no, I think it's good. Oh uh, yeah, well it is what it is. I think it's good. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. <laughs> it was a good time, yeah. and um, yeah, that that was the funnest though. Like coming back after working and then going to see Robin Williams and Jeremy Kramer making fun of Perry Kurtz. That's like everything. Everything would boil down to like people making fun of Perry Kurtz. Like that's what it would always come come to. Be Perry Kurtz trying to do a set on one side of the stage, and then Robin Williams and Jeremy Kramer berating him while he's doing his set in front of twenty comics. Oh my god, that's that's a great scene. It's really funny. It's really funny because like Perry would try to do material. 
that we all knew too well. Yeah. And then like these guys are just like making fun of him and we're all just dying. It was good. Uh, good time. <laughs> Did you guys do that too? Though? Like, will you go, go back and like come back to the club and then just kind of goof off for each other? Oh yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It yeah, it's really a lot funny. of fun. We, you know, we do things like, you know, the back in the, the day in the improv, catch you do stuff to like the chase. The, like, you know, in Baltimore, they used to have the chaser act. The last act was mm-hmm. so bad to run everybody out of the room. Mm-hmm. We'd go up and see what we could do to discuss oh, the audience and chase them out of the room. <laughs> That's great. You know, what, what bits can you do? What can you do <laughs> to be great. like? So you'd be like just a just sort of a, a, a you know at that time what's a disgusting thing you could do mm-hmm. like there was one was just sort of like a it was a gay dating game we do which was very it was very graphic you mm-hmm. know with the, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to you mm-hmm. you know so it was almost like a um, you know uh, uh, almost like uh, the aristocrats you know or something mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. you could do you guys would come up with bits the worst bits you could think of you know well at the zoo they had something similar it was usually though it was more literal like Myron the moron do you remember Myron the moron no he was this comic. There was a at the zoo. There was a f- sort of a little bit of like people that were mentally ill, and there were comics, and then they were like, it's a little bit not that much of a divide. Sometimes they were people that were really mentally ill. I think he might have been mentally ill, but he would come on stage and he would piss into a glass and then drink the whole thing, and then the audience <laughs> would just get there. <laughs> have a check, please. That'll do it. That's a closer. <laughs> it was just like, um, <laughs> all right, we need to go. All right, yeah, we need to get out. There was here. no jokes or anything. He would just get a cup. And on then, stage, he on would stage, piss into it. He would just piss into it and then drink it, and then, and then everybody would be gone. Yeah, it would be hard to tell it, with with comedy whether somebody was really mentally ill or not. You're right. Yeah, it would be it's hard. Oh, yes. it's, it's, it's hard. Be, it's, yeah, it would be hard to tell sometimes. It seems like you, you know we really oh, we should have more crazy criminal comedians. There's no, there's relatively few. There's like Vince a Champ. Oh yeah. Oh oh, tr- truly criminal. There's like truly criminal. There's a couple. Yeah. That's the only one I can think of. There are like, yeah, comics. There are, there are a lot of scammers. There are a lot of borderline small time petty hustlers and, yeah. and all. There were like Adam Leslie was like that. There were guys who were, you know, that got away with a lot of stuff and, and they would see what they could get away with. You know, small time thievery and yeah. not just joke thievery, but I'm just saying like they, you know, whatever they can do to get away with. Yeah. There well, were there were a lot of guys like that, but you're right, not full out psychopathic. Yeah, it's surpri- It's surprising that there's not more that do comedy. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we just don't know. It, it attracts them. It attracts them. Is there a comedy killer? Yeah, has anybody well, that would be, killed anyone? I think somebody tried to do a movie about it once. I'm not sure, but I, I think I remember hearing this about a, you know, a serial killer as a stand-up comic, which was what Vince Champ Vince was. Champ he was, was yeah. a serial rapist, rapist, right? So who, I mean, um, And he was discovered from the radio. A woman heard him on the radio, and she heard one, one of his bits. That's what you were no, saying. No, that's what I've heard. Yeah. He, he, that's was on, he was on morning radio. And he did he did like a bit and used like a voice and apparently it was his rape voice and a girl heard so it crazy. and went shit that's a guy that that, no. that attacked me that raped me I never heard that that's why I heard that somewhere I think I know somebody told me that I I, I was trying to figure out we were talking about this other day. I don't even know what prison he's in but he's he's in some prison but I, I heard of the other states that want him once he gets out they're like other states going because he ever gets out was, of there it was such a, a widespread yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's horrible you know but oh, he, no. he would he did college tours right and then he would play a college and he would always go to another college sort of in the area uh, and when they finally I think that was the case is they looked at all the the, the routing that he of did his and he gigs. went you know, this is where yeah, he, he was in this world these, so these rapes crazy. happened but that's what I heard is some girl heard him on the radio and you you know go on morning radio and you do a bit, and whatever, and then she goes, "That's the voice. That's the guy." I think I think that's what tipped it off. That's, that's amazing. I've, I've heard it's so that, yeah. scary. That's so scary. But I mean, 
I can't. Yeah, there's no like killers, are there? We just kill ourselves, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Which is like really, I mean, it, it's a this whole thing. Like, I know that it, everybody's been talking about Robin Williams and Robin Williams, but it's like it really fucked me up like for several days. Oh yeah. It, even though I don't know him well and I didn't know him well, he was just so important in a lot of ways and well, I, it's so hard. I uh, it is it is I mean, especially I was on the ship when somebody told me so I was staying away. I was writing so I was staying away from TV mm. and everything. And the mm. other guy came up to me and said, "You know what happened." I was stunned by it, like everybody else, and you think, you know, he was loved by so many. I mean, right. you look at the outpouring, everybody loved him except for one guy at that moment. Mm -hmm. The only guy that didn't love him at that moment mm -hmm. was himself. And, you know, you've dealt with depression. I have, mm -hmm. most people have. And I, I was, you know, bedridden, suicidal, whatever, three years ago, and I couldn't get out of bed, and I couldn't. And they put me in UCLA for like 13 days, and mm -hmm. psych ward. And, uh, I can't, I can't make, I can't, you know, I can't even think of, I can't, still can't wrap my head I around. I still can't, I know. You know, I, 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 I certainly understand, mm -hmm. I think, a little bit. Um, I totally understand. You know, I yeah, get it. I get it. I, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I know when you're that, people don't know, they don't know, you go, you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. When you're that dark, you can't, there's not a sliver of light. You don't have a bit of hope. You no. don't think of anybody else. You don't think, you just think you're the worst, mm -hmm. that you must end it now for everybody's benefit. Mm -hmm. For everybody's benefit, the best thing for you to do is to leave the planet. Right. And so people can't under, can't wrap themselves around that thought because most people don't ever get to that place. No. And that's, yeah, it's really, it's very, it's been a very difficult thing. Um, and then, you know, a lo lot of anger, too, about depression and a lot of anger. A lot of people saying the word coward, which to me is very... Uh. Just, just terrible. Yeah, like it's you, sad. It's, you know, that's you, not that. The mental illness. We're still like so. I don't know. 15th century with it. You tell somebody you have cancer, and they're going to hug you and give you empathy and oh, I'm mm. sorry. But you see a mental illness, they'll back off. Yeah. Because they're not sure whether that next thought in your head is saying, "Put a fork in your eye." Yeah. You know mm -hmm. they. You know they, 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 there's a because they because the behavior is what they're not a, sure of is what's scary about mental illness, on a personal level. Mm -hmm. But people don't have an understanding of it. They're still. No, it's hard. You know, they go, oh, it's a weakness. It's sort of like a, you know, the old view of alcoholism or something. Right. It's just a weakness there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not a weakness. If, you, if your leg is shot off, that's not a weakness. Yeah. Your leg is gone. If your ability to think, you know, if your ability to even see the world in a real way is gone, it's gone. You're good to stay off. Like, like when, when it happened, you were, you were lucky to kind of not be all in in the media stuff because I just was like looking at it too much and then I saw one photograph that that, that somebody had taken in an AA meeting of him oh, really? and uh. I was so offended even though I'm not in AA obviously and I but I spent a lot of time there so I'm like not my group but still it's a very important group to me like this is really really hard she did like I've never seen a photograph inside of an AA meeting yeah. before that's like really to me that's crazy well I'm, I'm I guess people can sneak what they ever you know there's all sorts of ways sneak in a shot I, I, I've never seen anybody do that in a they would be they would be you know the camera would be grabbed or whatever right away mm -hmm. it's a horrible breach but people are so they, they for whatever reason they just don't think that Somebody who's puts themselves out in an artistic way or whatever it is to, for you know, they, they, they have any privacy issue whatsoever. Mm -hmm. you, once you become sort of a celebrity or whatever, they just go, You have no privacy anywhere, I anything. I j my need to get attention by putting you out there that's what they're doing. Yeah, look, I have a picture of Robin Williams. Pay attention to me now. I have a picture of Robin Williams. So, so terrible. Okay, I think Brendan's uh, outside. Wait, let me see. We're like back to back today. Oh, you're you're you are amazing. We are back to back. It was like. It's like a factory. We just, we just talk to the best people. 
<laughs> oh, wait. People come in and chat with us. But it's a great thing, you know. Oh, it, thanks, it's cool Jim. because you showed up um, at the tail end of Tenacious D. So right. it's almost like a little crossover. People just right. show up right. and everything like that. But yeah. that's. I think this is a great future, too, of being able to just sit down and have... Because there's so... There's so little conversation that you can hear anymore. There's so little on TV. Yeah, couple of people, you know, maybe there's Charlie nothing, Rose no, does it. No, there's no, there's nothing. Like, this is the new talk show, isn't it? It right? is because you're right. There used to be spontaneity, and now you know it's all pre-planned. You know, yeah, I'm going to do a thing about my kid going to a preschool mm-hmm. dance, and you, t- I'll, you, I'll lead you to that story. I don't know? think people realize how, even like the how late night shows how scripted Absolute, every moment every is. Moment. That's why I mean to kind of go with what we were just talking about. Um, you know, Johnny is one of the last few guys that was real, a real right. deal broadcast like right. that. And David, I think, is is the last they, of they, it. David's tribute to Robin was so honest and oh, real. It was beautiful. It was one of the best ones that was on because it, it was it was just a guy sitting there going, "I'm just going to talk about. I'm just going to talk to the audience and the camera and the people at home." You don't get that. I, I mean, the the, network, that was a specific you know thing. The but you don't get that. The executives are so afraid of somebody hitting the remote and going off the channel. Yeah. They're afraid of one bit of slack time. Yeah, I agree. But it's you know that's why we we talk right. to amazing people. All right. Sorry. That's all now right. we are we are going to transition into our other interview, <laughs> but I want to get um I want to get people hip to your uh like where can people find out about your shows, what you're doing, where they where they can see you? My website richscheidner.com. Okay. Uh Facebook. I'm like uh, Are you on Twitter? No, I'm not a Twitter guy. So but you you have a website so people can look and see what what yeah, you're doing and yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And this this uh this uh, script sounds great. That's a great era in comedy, so I I, I, I think so. I'm pretty excited movie. about it. That's really yeah, exciting. Yeah, seventy nine, eighty, right, right there before the, the explosion. It's the best time. Yeah, it's the best time. It yeah. makes me. I wish I was a comic. Like I, I was wanting to do comedy then, but I, ha, I was only nine. I was going to say, <laughs> how are you going to do it? <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I, I know. I started when I was like fourteen. You had had that vision so, that early. Well, I wanted to um, stop being molested as a child, and like <sighs> I, I want to stop getting molested, and I want to fuck. So that's like. <laughs> That's like I. That's why I was like, I'm going to be a comedian because I can like actually turn this around into my my favor. Yeah, get so, some power. You want yeah. some power. So I became a comedian very very young, oh. and I, that's another thing too is I, I want to see who I can now charge with statutory rape. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, is my that's going to be the next couple of podcasts this will be right? our right. big be... like anniversary episode where we can... will you bring the comics in yeah. will you bring those go, particular okay, comics in I tell you this yeah but the police officer is not a prop that's a real police officer <laughs> sorry but we just thought it would be a good idea yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll, I'll do it at Montreal <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they'd love that. They'd That's love a perfect that. place they, to not, do it. Not the state of the industry, but the the statutory of the industry. <laughs> yeah. But that's um. But I started really young, and but eighty nine. I mean, not seventy nine to eighty is like a really great. What year did you start? I started in eighty four. Eighty four. Interesting. But that whole, that was another. I mean, I loved to talk to you sometime again. Maybe not this about the changes that you saw coming in because the whole alt comedy and the whole thing. Yeah, even really even like I, I did a joke in the script about you know they used to make. The whole thing about even even gay jokes, anything they, they all changed in my time. I mm-hmm. saw them change, you know, where that became something that yeah. you you know what I mean. It was like you didn't do those jokes anymore. Mm-hmm. They became mm-hmm. and the, the yeah. whole shift. Yeah, and so, so many shifts. Yeah, so many I, language I love, shifts. Yeah, yeah. So many things. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I'll talk. You can reach uh, us at Margaret Show. On Twitter, at Monsters of Talk, both of us, where can they reach you? At Jimmy Shelter. Um, we are every Monday on SoundCloud and iTunes. What, uh, wait, you should watch our YouTube, though. 
YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Monsters of Talk. Some cool videos there. And um, we want to thank our guest, Richard Scheidner. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, mate. And we love our listeners, and we'll talk to you next time.